How often do you get to hear from a natural OBGYN? Came to the other side, wait till you hear that story. But oh my gosh, we get into it. Fertility, infertility, birth control, all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Most importantly, what's affecting your health and what to do about it. Check out this episode of Cell TV. So important, by the way. We're going to do two episodes. Check it out. Hey, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Cytodetox. Look, podcasts cost money. There's a lot of production uh, going around this, but uh, we are grateful to have Cytodetox as one of the sponsors. It's so easy for me to talk about the product because myself and my family use it constantly as we practice what I preach. For over 15 years, I've talked about and taught doctors and the public about cellular detox. And I'll tell you, Cyto was a breakthrough. Cyto was a breakthrough for us. Um, and it's changed so many lives. So we're grateful that they sponsor Cellular Healing TV. It makes sense, doesn't it? They should. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cyto Detox product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit detoxoffer.com. Again, that's detoxoffer.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome holistic OBGYN, Dr. Nathan Riley. Dr. Riley stepped out of the conventional model to help women achieve lasting vitality through holistic means and getting to the root cause of their dysfunction. And he's here today to talk about home births, birth control, fertility, and other upstream issues when it comes to reproduction and babies. So I cannot wait to hear this and I'm excited to introduce Dr. Nathan Riley and of course, Dr. Pampa. Welcome both of you. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're uh, excited for this topic. Um, Ashley pointed out that we get so many questions on these topics. Uh, you know, there's a lot of bad information on these topics. There's a lot of people who don't even wanna approach these topics sometimes so but yet we are facing major major issues around fertility infertility births healthy babies i mean you name it so all of these topics um, are right in your wheelhouse but i want to start with the story uh how did you end up here i mean i don't know i mean look we have more doctors than ever kind of coming out of the system and going, okay, there's got to be another way. But I mean, rarely on your side, in the OBGYN circles, I, you might be the first on cell TV. How did you get here, man? How did you get here? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a, what an honor. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I, um, I like being the first to do things, even though if that's a little bit scary, but sometimes that's the most rewarding because you learn the most. Like I'll make all the mistakes along the way and people can learn maybe from me, from my path. So, you know, I, I started off like everybody else. You do a lot of school. You're, you're generally getting high grades your whole life. You're being rewarded and incentivized to do well on tests. And there's not a lot of creativity there. And I'm, I'm definitely a, a very right brain thinker compared to a lot of my colleagues. So I was always curious about like, well, what about this? And what about this? And, and that doesn't really get rewarded all that well in your educational system. So I left med school kind of disillusioned with yeah, it already. You probably didn't fit in med school very well, like being <laughs> the right brain person. They were probably like, gosh, Nathan's so nice, but he's kind of weird, don't you think? Yeah, he's kind of an odd guy. Yeah, yeah. He wears brightly colored shirts and really, <laughs> a, you know, 
Um, yeah, I, I really, really had a hard time with, um, with education in general, you know, like, like we incentivize finding the right answer to the test, right? If you know the answer that the examiner wants, then you're going to get to the next level. And what, what I've, I've often talked about is that the better your pedigree in medicine, especially, but any, any industry, that means that you're just the best test taker, right? And, and I mean that very literally, like you have been incentivized to stay between the lines from kindergarten all the way through, and you've been better at it than other people. So it's no surprise that some of these top universities are pumping out great people, you know, they go in with the right intentions, but they are so stuck in, in a way of thinking that to tell them that, oh, maybe that thing you were trained to do isn't necessarily the best way to do it. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say, you, you may have answered my question always of like, why can't they see this, right? Like, why can't they see that? Yeah. Of course, there's a time and a place for a medication, but I mean, don't they see? Yeah. Why can't they understand that there's a cause? And if we get to it, the body heals. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I have these conversations with friends of mine that are MDs that are smart and beautiful people that I love. And it's like, I'm bashing up against the yeah. wall. And I, yeah. I'm like, what, what happens in med school? Is there a brainwashing? But I think you answered the question right yeah. there. I, yeah. I think you answered it. We, we have selected people based on their ability. I mean, by selected, I mean, we, they have a diploma behind them with Harvard or Yale, you know, I don't think Yale has a med school, but you get my point. It's mm -hmm. the, the top institutions in the world, you get that paper behind you. And all that that reflects to me, unfortunately, given my experience with the system and all of these really high achievers is that you just did things the better than other people in the way that the examiner wanted you to do them. Right. So when we take a 15,000 foot view of any medical illness, like let's, let's talk about uh, depression. You know, we had the chemical deficiency hypothesis that you just have too little serotonin. So we just right. pound you no, with I mean, more. How, how do you buy into that? <laughs> yeah, right. And then, I mean, uh, fluoxetine, uh, uh, Prozac was, it was introduced back in 1981, 82, something like that. And we haven't seen any change in the long, long term, you know, uh, right. uh, sort of trajectory of that medication. If anything, we've actually seen a lot of detriment mm -hmm. to our society because people don't feel up, they don't feel down. And now they're actually pretty dependent on this medication. And when you take them off, they're not relapsing, they're actually withdrawing, which yeah. mimics depression. Yeah. So how is so like you said, how could you see that and continue to pump these medications into the population? 40 million Americans a year, I think, are prescribed, you know, any antidepressant. Right? Yeah, you, you know, what, one of the things I say to that oftentimes, and, and again, always defending, you know, the the doctor you know to, to some degree meaning yeah. that maybe this is what happens right you, you come and you give them the antidepressant and they come back the second time and they're like yeah i feel a little better right right the ones that you gave it to that didn't feel better they probably moved on and didn't come back so the ones that felt a little bit better they do end up coming back and maybe some come back feeling tremendously better until they don't right and then they don't come back right, right. so right. in the doctor's mind well, they're better, right? They moved on. So they're probably looking at a percentage of success stories, mm. not hearing the majority of the people who never came back to tell their opposite story, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, unlike us, that we, we are out of, once you step out of that system, you're out of the insurance system, 
you know, we, we have a duty to follow up with people. Well, how are you doing? Right. What's going on? Oh, you didn't do well. Okay. Let's figure it out. But with the insurance system, you typically just people just come and go, right? And you don't see the ones that went or even right. hear from them half right. the time. Right. So maybe that's it. Maybe so it's like a little survivor, sur what do they call it? Survivor bias or uh, confirmation yeah. bias, you know, where you only see the, the yeah. people that it's working for. So you don't right. even realize. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I maybe it's not the case at all. Maybe it's just they absolutely don't want to see it. Even yeah. the ones that are flocking in and you know they think it's their fault. They probably didn't make take the medication properly or something. Right. I don't know. I, right. I, right. I hope it's the first, but maybe it's the second. Yeah. So I when I did my residency, I, I uh, went to LA and did my residency at Kaiser, which is you know touted as the greatest healthcare program in the world yeah. or whatever. And uh, you get to see that firsthand where, yes, there is a lot of great things. And my residency program, for what for what residency training is, it was probably hands down the best program, especially for me. And I had palm trees outside the windows, you know, so it was great. But the lack of continuity made it impossible for me to know if things were going well or not. Hmm. You know, I, I would have to actually seek those patients out and intervene. A couple of times I would go into the clinic when they were pregnant again and say, hey, I remember you from the birth and they remember me and this and that, but like, how did things go after? Because I want to know how did the repair go or how did your C-section heal or whatever? You just don't see them for follow-up because it's, you know, there's 80 docs, including the residents in this practice. You're never going to see the same people twice unless they specifically, right. you know, request you. So that lack of continuity makes it very hard for people to even know what they don't know. Yeah, that's kind of my point is maybe yeah. they just don't know, right? You're right. Yeah. All right. You brought up birth. Let's start with birth. We'll get into you know, how many people are being damaged by contraceptives and some, hopefully some great alternatives, but yeah. on yeah. birth, right? I, I had, I said this before we even started, right? I had all of, well, I had, we, my wife actually <laughs> had our babies at home. Yeah. And for me, it's uh, a perspective of, I can't even imagine having a baby in the hospital. Yeah. Okay, but flip that. I'm, I'm sensitive to the flip side of that. If you had babies in the hospital or your parents did, you know, whatever, uh, you probably can't even imagine for a second having a baby right. at home, right? right? So, you know, we have these two schools, right? It's like, I can't, you know, perceive this. They can't perceive that. So perception is our reality, right? You know, okay, let's, so let's, let's bring some reality. I think that then we develop myths, right? I, you know, maybe in my mind, Oh my gosh, the, the hospital, there's going to, you know, kill my wife or my child, right? Okay, so maybe that's part of my philosophy. And then their philosophy is, oh my gosh, if I had a baby at home, something horrible is going to happen to my baby or my wife's going to die, right? right? Or I'm going to die, right? So, I mean, you know, that's probably the thinking on both sides, right? But bring us to a center ground and let's let's look at facts and not, not feelings. Yeah, <laughs> right. Give us that. So you mentioned myths. We have a myth in our society that runs very deep in the United States that hospitals are where you go and you get cured and you can be kept safe. And if you don't go to the hospital, then you're going to die from some horrible thing that could have been prevented if you were, unless, you know, if you just sucked up your ego and went to the hospital. That's the myth. Right. In reality, in reality, if you think way back to like Rene Descartes, we got this reductive Cartesian sort of understanding of human health. You are the sum of parts. Yeah. And if I, if I can polish off your kidneys and put them back in, you're going to run just as new, like you're the tin man. We know that that's not true, but we don't have a better alternative. I mean, we do. 
but within the system, this is the way it's done. And this is how it's been since you know, Descartes back 17th century, we're talking. Yeah. So you haven't In, gone inductive thinking versus deductive thinking. Right. 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 And we end up with inductive thinking of like a mechanic looks at a car, right? Like right. there's a part, okay, we fixed part, you know, what not asking the bigger question of, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, is there a, a, a vitalistic force here that makes it all work together? Right. <laughs> so and that was never thinking, the answer. Yeah, you would say no, but in deductive thinking, you go, there's a vitalistic force that makes all this run together. Okay. Right. So right. they got caught up in an inductive thought process, to your point. Yeah. yeah. And when you're like, we were talking about med students and all this other stuff, the way you're trained is to answer the question on the test. The answer on the, on the test was never had anything to do with the subtle energetics of what makes us human. It was an organ system connects here, you know, arm bone connects to the shoulder bone, that type of thing. If you can get those answers right, just like the car mechanic, in the way that Descartes had us thinking, you know, uh, we can we can polish these parts off and everything will be okay. The problem with that is that with something like birth, you go into the hospital, nobody even has to touch you. You have a totally natural physiologic unmedicated birth, but there was all these interruptions. There were distractions. There were people yeah. that were coming in and out of the room, seeing all of your parts and you don't feel respected. You don't see, you weren't seen as a whole person. So this isn't the case for everybody, but many women have come to me desiring a home birth and I asked them about their last birth. And so the storytelling piece is totally lacking because what could possibly be garnered from the story? I got the vital signs here and I got the lab work. I got everything I need to know, except I don't know who this person is. But if you ask them about it, they'll say, yeah, it was an okay birth, but, and of course they're coming to me. So I know there's something that, that caught them up, but you know, I, I don't feel like there was a lot of people talking to me about why they were doing things. And I just didn't, it felt weird. It felt like I was sort of in a state of fear the whole time, wondering what, when somebody was going to barge in and throw open the curtain and all this other stuff, right? So even in the most natural physiologic birth in the hospital, there's a disruption in the, in the, the, the rhythms of this sacred unfolding. And I'm using the word sacred intentionally. Birth is not a medical procedure and pregnancy is not a disease. Yeah, I mean, in so, hospitals are set up for medical procedures, right? And, I, and so, course. like yeah. you said, take the best case scenario. This hospital tries very hard not to punch it in the same hole as a medical problem, right? You have to understand that, you know, that this is what hospitals do, right? They prepare right. for the worst, they prepare, you know, and they don't, they don't need to give explanation. They don't need to cater. Um, so it ends up being like you're describing, right? You know, very kind of the same for everybody, not much offered as far as, you know, answers, questions being answered. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree. And there's actually an element of that that I disagree with. You still have the right to inform consent and the right to exercise the refusal of treatment. That's mm -hmm. on the patient bill of rights in every hospital across the country. It's a big part of JCO commissioning and their, and, and their, their sign of a seal of approval and everything else. The problem is that when you walk into a hospital, there's this term implied consent I've heard used thrown around, where as soon as you sign the registration paperwork and you sign an affidavit that says, I will pay this bill no matter what, that's actually what that paperwork's for. It's like you came to us for help. Let us do our thing. Just step out of the way, right? So there's no there's no ownership for the the the, the patient, the the pregnant woman, whatever. There is a you're on the assembly line, you're on the medical train, and things are going to be happening to you for you, perhaps even with your best intention. But it's not you making those decisions. 
So the, the concept of informed consent has gone out the window. And here's a, a very clear example. You walk in and the baby's on the monitor, baby's starting to have some drops in the heart rate. We call it the, the decelerations. And the doctor says, I, I think we need to do a C-section. The patient says, ah, I'd like to wait a little bit. The doctor comes back in 15 minutes later, we got to go now. Your baby's going to die if you don't do it. Is that really informed decision-making? Right, you're being threatened with a condition that if you don't do what I'm going, right? How do you say no to that? Because now it's my exactly. fault. This baby dies. It's my fault. I agree. Exactly. That's not informed consent. Yeah. Flip side, it could be okay. Here's your options, <laughs> right? Meaning, right. like you know, we could wait, right? You could wait, but the risk there is blah blah blah. Right. Or we could move forward, which, you know, I, I'd have to say in my mind, maybe less risk, I don't know, whatever he could give his opinion. Sure. But ultimately, you have the choice, right? It's like, yeah. but I have to inform you of the risks and benefits of both. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. I mean, that's how that would go normally. That's right. That's right. And, and, if you, and if you get consent from somebody who's under duress, that's called coercion. I mean, period. And I, I hate to, I, I don't want to make the system seem nefarious. I was born of the system. I saw a lot of good people doing good work and sure. women having great births. But the, the reality is that when then we've contrast that with the home birth experience, which you've been through, we were, we went through it six months ago, right up there in that window. And uh, in our home, when you contrast the experience of hospital experience of home, oftentimes it's the same outcome, healthy mom, healthy baby. But there's, there's, there's something different importantly different about the home birth experience, which you know very well. And it's the reason that people like me and you would say, I can't even imagine giving birth in a hospital anymore. Yeah, There's something different. There's, there's more of a, you feel whole, you, you, you don't feel disrespected. You're in control. You're in your home. You have all of your stuff there mm -hmm. and you feel safe and secure. In the mammalian world, a female lioness doesn't give birth if she feels that there's a danger present. She will stop labor abruptly and go find safety. I mean, just the, the anchors of a hospital, right? Yeah. The gurneys, this, that. I mean, all of it in every human's mind represents trauma, right? Yeah. I mean, think about yeah. it, right? I mean, yeah. if you closed your eyes and woke up and you saw the hospital room, immediately your heart's going to go up because something bad has happened. So, you know, we know that even though our conscious mind's going, okay, I'm here for a birth, I'm not trying, our subconscious is still looking at all these negative yeah. anchors right. and going, this is scary. This is scary, right? Yeah. Hospitals are scary. You know, yeah. I, it, it, they're scary even when you're there for a loved one, right? There's still, when you get in that environment, you know, there's something negative that you feel. Yeah. There's something yeah. bad. You don't feel right. It's because our subconscious knows what this all means, right? Life yeah. and death, right? So yeah. putting a woman that's pregnant in that situation, I agree with you. It, it all, you already start off on a negative foot right there or flip side is your bedroom right that's where we had our babies nothing bad happens here it's all good right it's like so this will be another good thing right it's like yeah. it, it, there's there's no negative traumas that have happened right so well yeah. hopefully not <laughs> at least not like the hospital setting yeah well and, and if we want to talk facts most women are actually going to have a better outcome being at home period for the reasons that you just described and, and this has been documented over and over and over again in international journals, in our own journals here, the two are the blue or the, uh, the gray and the green journals, the, the big OBGYN journals. It's been documented time and time again that a low risk woman, which I'm using air quotes for that because the stratification of risk in pregnancy is really bizarre. But if you've got, you know, my wife was, she's, was 35 when we had her baby last year. 
She has no issues whatsoever medically. The baby is growing about six, six and a half, seven pounds. She's got no, not even any swelling in her arms and legs. She's beautiful. She's, she's, you know, gained 20 pounds and our first birth went without a hitch, unmedicated, no, totally hands-off in the hospital. If we were going to risk stratify and somebody met that type of, you know, criteria, apart from age 35, she's as healthy as can be. And I've seen a lot of 25-year-olds that are a lot less healthy. But if you were a person that fit into that like dreamy pregnancy category, there is absolutely no reason to have a, a hospital-based birth, in my opinion. Yeah. No. That comes with some sovereignty. It comes with the possibility that if the baby is in distress, you don't have a five-second trip to the OR. You may have a 20-minute trip. But the risk of that happening without medical intervention is actually lower when you're at home because we're not intervening. We're not putting our hands in IV lines and sticking things in places where they don't belong. So this is a really, there's a lot of nuance here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was our situation was so calm and you know the the baby wasn't coming out i mean i promise you our first child would have been induced no doubt because it just but the midwife was like well you know give it time she'll be fine right it was like you know no problem she delivered you know a lot of babies yeah you know and she was like it'll happen it'll happen and you know she's said, okay it's coming along and, oh that's why i was delayed the baby's posterior she does this maneuver she turns the baby. Now, that would have been a C-section in the hospital. So, I mean, do you understand? I mean, it's like meaning, but she knew what to do and she turned the baby. We had a normal birth, right? So, um, you know, things happen in the hospitals that will end up in a C-section like that. Not like you said, informed consent is we have to do this now. And of course you end up, and then the words are, well, I had to have a C-section, right? Yeah. Or I had to be induced. You know, my brain immediately goes because I saw the opposite of that. Well, maybe, maybe yeah. not, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you were at home, it might have been a different outcome, right? Where you didn't uh, technically need that. But when you look at C-sections, I don't know, what, what is, they've gone up dramatically. I think they're just very convenient for doctors. And I know that insurance pays a whole lot more. Uh, could be two reasons why we have this surge in C-sections. I've read it's like in the 20% now of like- it's higher than that. It's 30 to 40%. Okay, wow. Okay, yeah. that's gone up since last I knew the statistics. Yeah. Okay, so every year it's going up. And I, I think probably for those two reasons, right? It's like, it's terribly yeah. convenient, isn't it? Um, I think, so So I think that that's a, a part of a bigger, bigger issue in our society, which I think was actually unveiled these past couple of years with a viral illness, right? We have, yeah. we have become determined to control everything in our power to control mm -hmm. and everything measurable is controllable. Yes. I mean, to some degree. So if we have a healthy mom, healthy baby as our only outcome, and we're doing 40% of births in the United States by C-section, I can tell you right now, my last shift on call in a hospital, I did one in 37 seconds. It was an emergency, a true emergency, but this is historically one of the most dangerous surgeries, the blood, the blood flow, I think it's something like 50% of your cardiac output goes to the uterus. So every time that your heart pumps, half of that blood ends up going to the uterus immediately. I mean, that is a giant honking organ system. And I may have that number wrong. So if somebody calls me out, big deal, even if it was 20%, that's a yeah. ton of blood. Massive. So amount. to operate in that space, it would be like, let's do our open heart surgery. And, uh, and hope for the best. I mean, we have gotten so good at where to put the clamps, how, how, to, how to create the incision, and we can do it fast. 
So if our only outcome is healthy mom, healthy baby, and I am that good at doing a surgery, even under duress with no sleep and, uh, you know, just shaking off the, you know, the cobwebs from my eyes in the call room, if I can do it in 30 minutes and mom and baby are just fine, then why wouldn't I do that more often? I can control it. It's just like what happened with agriculture and everything else. Yeah. And, and, and once again, though, it's because doctors don't see the longer term outcome. Because exactly. now let's fast forward. Let's put quotes around a healthy baby, healthy mom. Yeah. Meaning yeah. that fast forward into my world, right? Gosh, what is wrong? That we do mm -hmm. everything right, but this baby's microbiome gut, if you will, is not right. Right. One of the first questions I ask, oh, did you have a C-section? Did you nurse your baby? We did have a C-section. What happens in my mind goes, oh, because see, where do they pick up the, their first introduction to the microbiome is through the birth canal, right? Uh -huh. So immediately we got problems. Innate intelligence doesn't pick up those microbes and now it has to make them up, you know, hopefully make them up with its environment through breast milk perhaps. But we know, you and I both know, that you can't make it all up without going through that birth canal. Do yeah. doctors understand that? Do doctors actually see the outcomes down here? No, because see, they don't associate the four-year-old with a gut problem with the birth anymore. See, that's inductive thinking. But we, we hopefully, and our viewers function from a different philosophy of deductive reasoning. Right. God right. has it this way for a person. See, we're deducing. The babies are meant to go through. I'm not sure what happens but probably a lot of important things when it goes through the birth canal. If we bisect that, right. probably bad things will happen. This is probably yeah. before we understood the microbiome, right? See, that's deductive thinking, right? So we better have it the right way. Inductive yeah. thinking is what you said. You know, hey, it's more convenient. If we can do it, you know, healthier baby, they have less, less problems. Let's do it that way. Bad idea in the long run. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and we, we have, a, if we're going to talk about any epidemic, we've got a big problem with autoimmunity in our country. And I would venture to say that 40% of our babies coming through dystopically, I might say, coming through an incision in the abdomen, many of which absolutely didn't need to come through that way, lacking the, 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 the um, colonization from coming through the vagina into the, yeah. out, out through the vulva. Um, and, you know, also, really not really not emphasizing for a whole generation the importance of breastfeeding yeah popping them full of vaccines on day one of life starting with hepatitis b um and then not to mention the food systems and everything else in our environment all these toxicants that are actually making it hard for us to to engage in salutogenesis and return back to a state of homeostasis it's it's a, a perfect so, storm of bad things. You know, it, and again, it comes from that inductive versus deductive thinking because how fast a nurse or a doctor will say, oh, they're not getting enough nutrition because right. your breast milk's slow and they put them on a formula. The right brain goes, right. what? Like that right. is the, I don't, give me the best formula, you know, with right. the best ingredients you could possibly come up with. No corn syrup, no soy, no this, no that. And I'm still going, bad idea. Right. Like, because- this is perfect. Oh, deductive thinking, even before we understood it, realizes that baby's communicating with that mother exactly what it needs. Now we know that's true. It's right. changing its breast milk to the needs of the baby. Does that right. work in formula? Right. Oh, right. gosh. And then you add corn syrups and GMOs and other you know, all the other yeah. stuff. I, yeah. You know, look, okay, let's let facts speak. Okay, so I don't even know the statistics anymore because we've had, my kids are, you know, 
born, you know, grown up now. What is the infant mortality in this country versus other countries? I used to say, you know, believe it or not, folks, you know, we live in the most sophisticated country in the world, perhaps, and yet we rank very, very low. I don't know where it is right now. I don't want to misquote it, but I promise you it's bad. Yeah, it's it's somewhere in the... I don't have it off the top of my head. It's some. It's somewhere. It's it's way less than one percent still. Obviously, otherwise, like one in a hundred babies dying would be uh, catastrophic. Like people would be like, "What on earth is happening here?" But I will say that if you compare our country to other developed nations, we have a two or three greater, two or three fold greater risk. Um, yeah, even if that, that's a low absolute I, risk. Yeah, yeah, no, low. exactly. Yeah, I, I, I want to know that number, right? Because it's like when you compare us, let's see, infant mortality. I'm, I'm just so curious now. It says uh, in 2019, 3.7 in a thousand. So, so we're looking at, you know, 0.3%. Um, if we were to trend that with other nations, I know that we're at the bottom of the list. That's for sure. So um, I just don't know the numbers from the other countries. Yeah, it, because you would think we would be the highest, right? Come on, at least top five. Well, Right. Considering yeah. how much we spend on healthcare, you would expect that we'd be like, we'd be modeling it out for the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I and when I used to talk about that number, um, it was I'm trying to find it, but my phone glitched. Um, anyways, uh, maybe Ashley can look it up. I, I, I yeah. my phone was glitching and someone was calling me. So, um, but yeah, we were at the bottom of the the list, right? Yeah. I mean, there, it was literally safer uh, to have a baby in third world countries when you yeah. looked at the number of you know in the infant mortality um across the whole world it was shocking frankly so yeah. where is all of the you know safety gone right and then you add to it the vaccine schedule right you add to it all oh we're going to give them vitamin k what do you think about that by the way we're going to put you know we're going to be think that again deductive reasoning so you know we know better we're going to think that the body doesn't know better. And we're just going to give you vitamin D just in case, you know, there's a clotting, you know, issue. Um, and then what about drops in the eyes? These are all things that man in his wisdom thinks he knows better. Do you, do you like any of those ideas? No, uh, we didn't do any of them. I was going to bring up some data here for you right now, because the vitamin K thing is something we had to, obviously we had to research it within the past six months or so. I actually just did a solo cast of my own where I covered a bunch of these topics and uh, gave the day. And by I the way, give your website, give your podcast and where yeah. many people are probably like, okay, you know, sure, if, sure. If, if they come at this from, you know, an OBGYN said this, okay, they're, you know, if I say it means nothing, but if you say it means a little something. So <laughs> well, I would, I would never say that if you say it, it doesn't mean something. I've listened to your podcast. You're a, you're a, a bright young man, Dr. Pompa. Well, I like uh, but my young, website's right? What's that? I said, I really like that young man. <laughs> um, so my website's belovedholistics.com and my website's the Holistic OBGYN podcast. So um, I just did a solo cast. It was just released this past week. And um, I shared some of the data that I had come up with whenever we were looking at vitamin K and everything else, because when you have a home birth, it's, it's something that has to be asked for specifically. That's the other thing is that it's not the default protocol of what happens. It's what is important to you. And then we'll make that happen if you desire mm. a vitamin K injection. So the risk of, um, so the, the thought behind vitamin K is that the baby gets pressed through this very right. tight 
canal, the pelvis opens, the baby comes out, the pelvis comes back together. And in the trauma of going through the birth canal, it is traumatizing. It's actually an important part. It's like a, it's like a um, butterfly breaking out of a chrysala. You know, yeah. you need that stress in order to be embodied with the subtle bodies of the, uh, the subtle energetic bodies of, of, of humanity. Mm. But in the process, is there, you know, some benefit to maybe ensuring that the baby has clotting factors to prevent bleeding under the, within the layers of the skin over the skull or even inside the brain itself. And so it was, it was devised, what if we give an extra shot of vitamin K, which actually helps boost your ability to clot due to a variety of clotting factors. And, and what the, 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 the research that supported this found that it was that there's a much, much less than 1% chance without vitamin K. It's about 80 in 100,000 births, 80 in 100,000 live births in lower mid-income um, uh, uh, countries or nine in 100 in high-income countries. Hmm. So, you know, if we're going to, re th that's without the vitamin K injection. So if we're going to reduce that rate a little bit further, fine. If you want to do that, that's on you. I, I'm not here to tell people what to do, but that is an extremely unlikely chance. And when you consider that when a baby is born, you know, the baby's just emerged into the world, the lights are bright. There's all this sound, all that this little baby, our little girl wanted to do was be on my, my wife's bare chest, feeling her heartbeat, knowing that she's still near the heart because she's been sitting right, be, right in front of the aorta for nine months now. She can still remain entrained with my wife's heartbeat. And now she can hear her voice crystal clear and she can get a visual sort of blurred, maybe even black and white visual of who is this person that is, that I've chose to be my mom. Mm. Like this is the essence of a, of a home yeah. birth. You don't yeah. really get in the hospital, oh, yeah. but what they do in the hospital. And again, is to each their own, but they whisk the baby away. They clean the baby up. Sometimes give the baby a bath before the baby's even on the mom's right. chest. They sponge all that beautiful vernix off that creamy yeah. white stuff microbiome <laughs> yeah and all the and all the flora they put a goop in the eye which is an antibiotic ointment to prevent gonorrhea just in case my wife was being promiscuous prior to the birth and then they shoot the baby in the foot with a shot of vitamin k yeah. so instead of you know crawling on her chest and being smothered by her breasts and getting some some milk and or, or not milk but um colostrum and and being warmed and loved immediately in a quiet room, in a soft, lit, beautifully calming room. It's being whisked away by strangers that are talking about the Super Bowl. They're, they're, they're moving blankets all over, stimulating all over the place. They're drying the baby off. They're putting goo so that she can't see her mom. They're sticking her in the foot so that her first experience being in the earth school was pain. God. Not that birth wasn't. Have you ever had a shot in the foot? It is. I mean, I give, I my can't shot. Imagine. I give myself a shot anywhere. I've had to give myself a shot in the foot a couple times. Ooh. I'm telling you, it is painful. <laughs> painful. So we're inflicting all of that on this new baby. And, uh, and because we're going to reduce the risk to less than one in 80,000 or whatever the number that I read you was, it's just, it's just, it sounds to me insane. I know it sounds to people. I know like, it does sound insane, insane, but see, because we're, it's deductive thinking with us, right? Yeah. So in my mind, that vitamin K a hundred percent of the time interferes with innate intelligence. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, yeah. so to prevent the, like the, the statistics that, you know, 
are so far out there as you, you pinpointed. It's like, you know, my gosh, 100% of the time you're changing the viscosity, meaning the thickness of the blood. Deductive reasoning says it's that thickness and it has a lower quality factor for a reason, for a reason. And I don't, maybe I don't even know what the reason is, but I'll tell you that intelligence does because it makes no mistakes, yeah. right? The innate intelligence knows exactly the, why that clotting factor is what it is. And a hundred percent of the time in my mind, we change that, we have a consequence to that. Now, maybe, yeah. maybe innate intelligence is so smart, it figures out the consequence and it's always okay, but maybe it's already stressed from something right. else. And right. maybe it doesn't. And now that vitamin K becomes too much of a stress. And now it becomes a new problem that they never associated with the vitamin K shot. And like you said, erythromycin in the eyes and, you know, all the things in the eyes and the one in the million, whatever it is, if you're, you know, like you said, and assuming that all of our wives have gone out and perhaps contracted a venereal disease. <laughs> where it's like, oh my God, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh my I mean, gosh. it's a yeah, and, and I believe 100% of the time it disrupts something that the innate intelligence has to try to fix, right. right? So anyways, and look, there's statistics around these things. I'm not just making them up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I've, I've when I was in residency and I, it was like second out of four years, I started realizing like, man, we're really intervening in this. And the way that we're talking and treating to people is like, like they're here for us to care for them, to love them, not for us to like, be annoyed by having to care for them and putting them into a box so that we can just get it over with or whatever else. Like this birth of all things is so important. And I remember carrying around a, a, an accordion film. I used, wife used to make fun of me for it, but she was like, why do you, like, what are you bringing that around for? And it was a, a bunch of papers that helped, that helped back up my desire to not intervene in the ways that I was being trained to intervene. Yeah. So in order to keep them off my butt, basically, I needed to have journal articles to support my desire to not mess with nature. And what I always say is the the burden of proof lies in those who wish to deviate from nature. But here I am trying to prove or whatever, demonstrate through these studies that it's actually okay, guys, that we don't shoot every baby in the foot with vitamin K or put goop in their eyes or you know, break in, everybody's in, waters. You know, In medicine, the more you do, the more yeah. you're protected, right? right? Because here's what's said, we, we did all we could. And I, and I think, huh, maybe that was part of the problem. <laughs> it's like, yeah. we did everything we could, right? It's like, yeah. I think that with cancer too, right? People say, we did everything we could. And I'm like, that's the problem. Do you yeah. remember Dr. Robert Mendelson? How to raise, that name. How to raise yeah. a child despite your medical doctor? He yeah. was a pediatrician who broke away. And on every topic we're talking about, he is, you know, absolutely agrees with us on. Yeah. Uh, looked at it completely different. You know, half of his book was about you know the dangers of the vaccines, the over vaccination. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, how yeah. to raise how to raise a kid, how to raise a child. I think despite your medical doctor, um, you and, write that one down. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Robert Mendelson. You know, the darn book's over there probably somewhere because I see it. I'm gonna get it. Here, wait. Mendelson. I found I, it. I, I, in spite I of your doctor. <laughs> I, I can't even believe that I, because I just saw it, it is. and I thought I'll never throw this book away. There it is right there. Yeah. The title alone is worth it on your How to show. raise a healthy child. See, I had yeah. a wrong. Yeah. yeah. In spite, I think it says that in spite of your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, this is as relevant today as ever. It's everything. Oh man. Well, we haven't come very far apparently, you yeah. know? Um, and, and as I think that we, 
you know, I did find that data for you in that moment that you s slipped away. The, uh, the data says that the US, um, we're looking at all of OECD nations. And um, these are a list of about 40 of the, the, the developed nations in the world who all exchange, you know, are engaged in the world economy. Mm -hmm. um, the number is out of 1,000 live births per the 2013 report, USA is four out of 1,000. So there's our 0.4%. Mm -hmm. The best is Japan at one in 1,000. So what are we ranked? So we're ranked on that list. We are fourth from the bottom. Um, and there's a bunch of other countries in there. It's all of Western Europe. Right. It's so we're a lot fourth of, from the yeah. bottom of a list of yeah. approximately 40. Okay, yeah. so yeah. I can promise you, if you look at the list, you'd be like, there's no way these countries have the sophisticated healthcare systems that we do and all the amazing things that we do. So take my word, take Dr. Nathan's word. Okay, throw it out the window. That stat right there should convince you to look in to the things that we're talking about, because there's yeah. a reason we're fourth yeah. from the bottom on that list, because right. I believe, I think Dr. Nathan believes, because we're treating pregnancy as a disease, and that's, that's right. the problem. That's right. Yeah, and, and, and you know, before we switch topics, I also want to emphasize that there's a good reason to have hospitals. There's a good reason to have doctors and emergency surgeries. So 100%. I don't want to burn, I'm not saying we burn the building down, but people like me and you are having to build life rafts for yeah. people that are not finding what what they resonate with within the medical system. Right. And there are definitely options out there right. to stand in your truth and to to have to honor birth as a sacred process and to and to do it the way that you that resonates with you. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. Look, it, it's far more emotional when you yeah. hear the story about the baby who would have died unless they went in and gave a C-section, right? It's like, and we would all agree with that. But that is like, well, my gosh, I got, you know, that alone, that story alone would bring a woman to the hospital. But yeah. we don't focus on the non-emotional story of what, you know, these things that we're talking about, drops in the eyes, the vitamin K shot, right? I mean, all of it cuddling yeah. on the mom's chest. I mean, you know, listen, an hour after I thought you painted an amazing picture of the difference of the mom with the baby versus yeah. what happens in the hospital, whisk right. away, tile dry, you know, all of it, right? Here's the reality, exactly what you painted, right? So we have our baby at home and our next door neighbor, lovely woman, Nancy, <laughs> she, she was lovely. She was a nurse. Okay. So you can imagine, right? Because she was like, you have a home birth. So she was already like, you know, yeah. nervous probably yeah. for us. Right. So we have the baby literally an hour later, my wife's outside in, you know, in the sunshine, just kind of rocking the baby. Right. And Nancy comes by and says, oh my gosh, you, you had the baby. When did you have the baby? And I'm like, uh, about an hour ago, <laughs> like what, <laughs> right? Perspective shift. But the point is, is that's how normal it was, right? It's like that baby never left my wife's chest, you know, for days, obviously, you know, until the baby was grown. But I mean, that's how normal it was. They don't get that, right? I mean, out in, you know, the environment and, you know, just, oh gosh, the difference. Yeah, it, yeah. it would just be so nice if we could, if we could shift our cultural paradigm towards the midwifery care model in the home setting being the default. And thank God there are people like me or that trained like me who can take care of things whenever, you know, whenever, you know, shit hits the ceiling, so, so to speak. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and fortunately we have a lot of hospitals that do a really good job. The problem is when you're in the hospital, it just, you just fall into this current yeah. where it takes it away from a spiritual exercise 
and yep. into a medical procedure. Yep. And that's really- uh, Absolutely. By the way, if we yeah. did what you just said, yeah. we'd flip it, right? We'd be in the right. top four, right? And not the bottom four. Okay, so that's, absolutely. that's an emergency moment. But let's, let's yeah. fast forward, like right? when they come to me with the child who now has issues, right? Food allergies, gut problems, can't sleep, blah, 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 immune issues, you know, go down the list of all of the problems that kids are having today, right? You know, that too would change if yeah. we just flipped what you said, right? Use the hospitals as the emergency and we were you know, doing births the natural way um, at home, you know, and educating women to do better. You know, how about this, you know, even, you know, educating midwives to do a better job. What if we put our energy into that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And I, that, that, that's a beautiful thought. Okay, let's go forward now because we promised we would. I think yeah. another really important topic today, I, I hate leaving that one. Um, I think we're gonna get a lot of, lot of comments about that. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's talk about this fertility issue, infertility issue, right? Contraceptives. <clears throat> I'll leave it to you. Where are we going next? You know, because there's a lot of bad stuff here. Again, a lot of myths, a lot of bad things that they're causing a lot of conditions. I can't right. tell you birth control pills. I have, you know, seen so many people hormonally upside down and flipped trying to figure it out by taking more hormones because of birth control yeah. so maybe yeah. i just started that yeah well the classic scenario is most young women have some dysfunctional bleeding as we call it or they have pelvic pain or they have they don't want to get pregnant right there's all these various things endometriosis all these sorts of things that lead a woman to go to probably see a doctor maybe for the first time in her life. Maybe she's 15 and the periods are really bad, bad crampy pain. Um, they uh, have really heavy bleeding. It's embarrassing at school. Hey, let's just take that thing off your chest and just take this pill three, three, three weeks on, one week off. You'll have a period. It's just induced by taking the progesterone away. And then you start at your pack again and bam, you're on this for 10, 20 and, years. And Dr. Naaman, here's the problem yeah. with that, right? It kind of works. Meaning that, you know, girls go, oh gosh, I, you know, my right. periods are easier. Oh, right. right. I mean, it kind right. of short term. Well, from a marketing standpoint, you're absolutely right. You came to me with a splinter in your finger and I gave you pain medicine. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. My finger doesn't hurt anymore. I can go back to my daily life, but there's still a splinter in there. So my big beef with this is not that I'm anti-birth control pills, whatever, I am, but that's not even really what I'm, what I'm here to say. I'm not anti-anything. It's just not my go-to medicine on the shelf. It's way up there and it needs dusted off because I don't use it often. What happens is a person comes in and they've got, let's say, very, very heavy bleeding and they're bleeding like 10 days on one week off and they're just on and off this, and they're getting anemic. And mm -hmm. what do we do? Put them on a continuous birth control pill, problem solved. Yes, the patient feels like the problem is solved, but what was the upstream cause of this underlying dysfunction? Whether it's pelvic pain, whether it's fertility issue, whether it's too frequently bleeding, too heavily bleeding. It could be a thyroid issue, it could be a pituitary issue, it could be an adrenal issue, it could be a hypothalamic issue. Could, we could look at it through the Ayurvedic lens and come up with a very different list of other issues. I mean, we could look through Chinese medicine and it's too much heat, too much cold, whatever. 
the Western, the allopathic doctor will say, just take this magic pill. And my dear, your life will be better than ever. And a lot of women in the short run do experience that. Yeah. The issues are, like you said, it throws your entire endocrine system completely out of whack. Yeah. It disrupts your gut flora, which disrupts your immune system. 70 to 80%, of course, of your immune systems in the gut. So you throw that all out of whack through the, through the uh, gut-associated lymphatic tissue. You throw their hormones out of whack by inducing the, the upregulation and production of hormone binding globulins, which decreases your thyroid hormone. So your thyroid goes to crap and your brain tries to keep up with that by producing more thyroid stimulating hormone. You get the picture here. Yeah. And it leads to all sort of mood disorders because of the intimate link between your immune system and what I would say the defunct chemical deficiency hypothesis of, of mental illness, I'm using hair quotes over here, and the, and the inflammatory uh, hypothesis of mental disorder. So that includes depression, anxiety, mood disorders of all sorts. So when women are on this for a long time and they come off, they also say, holy crap, it's like a veil was lifted and they are back in their bodies. So for too long, we've been giving these pills, even especially to young girls, but to women for 20 years, then they come off and they want to get pregnant. And we have some serious work to do to get you back into a place where your body can actually handle pregnancy. We have to get your endocrine system back in order, your immune system, your gut biome. And, um, and not to mention that these are also associated with mineral deficiencies, as well as a risk in blood of blood clotting, pulmonary emboli for a lot of young women who never even knew they had some hemophilia or uh, thrombophilia. And now they're on a medicine that actually induces clotting. So they end up with a PE at the age of 21 in college while they're out partying, you know, and um, I, you know, I, so, I, it never goes well long-term and yeah. a lot of struggles that women are having, they don't necessarily associate with that. Right. right. Because, right. you know, it's too far removed at a certain point. You know, but uh, to your point, you see the whole, you know, endocrine disruption that yeah. takes place in the right. microbiome and the immune. I mean, come on, it's it's massive. No, you know, really long term, you know, nobody escapes it. I mean, we can argue there's a time and a place for everything, and maybe maybe there is. But I hope people hear the warning there. Now, look, okay, that's we're talking about the prescription of it because you're getting a lot of bleeding, your cycles are off. But yet some people are choosing it, obviously, just to avoid pregnancy, right? right? So right. let's talk about some alternatives there. I'm, if a young girl walked into you and said, I'm having sex, and you know, what do I do right, to protect myself? Yeah. I, I hate to put you in the hot seat on that because I, I hate that question, frankly. I get that question, right? And I, I sigh. I go, you know, because you know, I know you don't want to hear my my answer and you know so i i hate the question but let me pose it to you yeah so it's important to remember that when a woman is placed on birth control birth control works most birth control is going to have synthetic estrogen and a synthetic progesterone which is called progestin so we have an estrogen and progestin component and those are meant to mimic the normal physiology of the menstrual cycle which again is related to hypothalamus pituitary thyroid adrenals ovaries and everything else. So if we replace your natural hormones, which come from the ovary and a corpus luteum develops around ovulation, it releases an egg and the cyst remains. And that's where you get natural progesterone production. What we're doing is we're replacing ovarian function 
with estrogen, which would normally be produced by the follicles that are developing through the first part of the cycle and the progesterone of that corpus luteum in, in order to trick the body sort of into thinking it's pregnant. Now, the reason that that's relevant is that when you stop after three weeks on, one week off of the birth control, you take a sugar pill. During that one week off, you get a drop in that synthetic progesterone and your body sheds the lining of the uterus. Mm. But that's not the same as being connected to the natural flow and rhythm of nature. Like you're, you're not just, again, just like with baby formula you mentioned, we can't perfectly reproduce your cycles because your normal cycle in the, the innate wisdom in your body might not be you know, a 28 day cycle where you're, where you're taking pills, suppressing, suppressing, suppressing for three weeks, and then bam, for one week, you're bleeding. It's not that easy. The body's way, way smarter than we are. Ah, but deductive thinking again versus inductive thinking. Yeah. And I started listening, I started, you know, I discovered Kelly Brogan work. She, she's a psychiatrist who's really worked a lot with prenatal depression, anxiety, mood disorders. And she and I uh, just spoke today, actually. And I, I heard her interview and she was like, she actually turned me on to this in residence and you're surrounded by these inductive thinkers. And now you as a deductive thinker are like, oh shit, I'm supposed to be giving these synthetic hormones to everybody who walks in the door. And not to mention the sign up there is made by Pfizer and the sign over here was you know, produced by Bayer and all these little educational tools. Like they are promoting hard to get these medic medications in the hands of women. So when that young woman you described walks in, I described that to her. And um, mm. And all of my practice is remote, by the way, anybody out there who's listening, you don't have to come to Kentucky. But the first thing that I want people to start doing- I was just in Kentucky, by the way. Kentucky oh, and you didn't stop by and have dinner? Come on. I was, I was there for the Kentucky Derby. We just shot this show live. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a hell of a race, wasn't it? Woo. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. I yeah, right on. Well, we were at a party that night, so- <laughs> um, so then we would, then what I would want to do is the thing that should have been done when she went to her family medicine doc or her nurse practitioner or OBGYN when she was 15 with the, the really sort of early struggles with the regulation of the menstrual cycle. It takes years for it to get right on track. Mm -hmm. But if you let it, it will, because it knows how to do it. Your body's not broken. Right. So instead of giving a pill, why didn't we teach her for some fertility awareness methods, okay. which would be, let's track your basal body temperature. Let's track your, you know, breast tenderness as, a, as, as you're approaching menstruation. Let's track your cervical mucus. Cervical mucus changes throughout the cycle. Yeah. And a few days before you ovulate, it goes, it changes into like a slightly stickier consistent. Yeah, it's, it's stickier, like, yeah. You can mm -hmm. feel the difference in your fingertips. I was taught all yeah. that stuff, or maybe I, I can't remember. I, did someone tell me? Did I research it? I don't know, but I, you know, I went with that method. My, yeah. you know, yeah. My wife and I knew, right? It's like, and but yet, um, you know, people don't really want to hear that today. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it what one thing it does do if we were to teach young girls that is that they would be able to track exactly when they're going to ovulate because the the cervical mucus especially goes from like a light light and sticky to creamy and then like an egg white an egg white consistency. And that happens right before the egg is released. So if you know that you're getting close to that, you're seeing the changes in your, the, the, the consistency of the, the cervical mucus alone without even doing basal body temperature, okay. cervical position, et cetera, you can know that mm, it's starting to get a little sticky. I'm in my fertile window. And then when it turns to that egg white consistency, you're exiting that fertile window. So during those five to six days, if a sperm arrives before or during that period, 
there is a chance that they're going to be around whenever the whenever the egg is you know arrives. So for many women, if you do have a 28 day cycle, that means that there are 20 20 ish days out of the maybe just under that 18 to 20 days out of the month where you can have sex and there's definitely not a way to get pregnant. Right, and it's right. going to be different for every person based on how regular their cycles are. But if you can see that, oh, my stuff, my, my mucus is starting to change, that's going to be a time where you need to use a barrier method or just not have sex. The problem is that you're also the most horny. Your, your libido is raging whenever you're ovulating because we're mammals and that's just how it goes. So Yeah. Well, th there's, there's great advice right there. You know, I mean, just doing that alone, um, that education, I mean, educate yourselves on that, right? You, like you said, I mean, you can put all that together and have a very accurate um, assessment of where you're at in your cycle. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. And like you said, mo most of your cycle, you have no chance of getting pregnant, but it's right there. Yeah. So, yeah. It's generally yeah. said it is like five to seven days, but it really depends. Like some sperm will actually outlive others, you know, mm -hmm. like you got the super sperms that are going to hang around longer and they're waiting for the the mucus consistency to change, which actually creates channels through the cervix that the sperm can swim through. When it's not that right consistency, it's, it's sealed shut. You can't get through it. The sperm just get deactivated and get turned around in there. So, um, so this is a pretty basic technology. It costs nothing. It has no downside consequences. The, the, the only downside is you have to practice it for a little while. And when you get comfortable with it, now you know everything you need to know about your cycle. And if you're not getting those changes, you may not be cycling. And that's when you need to start coming to me. Yeah, I think we need a part two um, because there. I think there's so much more uh, here from if we just pick up in part two where we are now and keep going forward all the way to death. I think yeah. that we will have an amazing show because I mean, there's perimenopause. I mean, there's menopause. We got all kinds of stuff, right? So let's pick up on a, uh, a two. And um, I love the fact your deductive thinking around this hormonal, you know, birth, everything, every bit of it. Um, I couldn't, uh, couldn't think of a more important show than this one, because this is where most of the destruction starts from birth and it just yeah. continues. So um, gosh, made a difference today. I promise you that. Thank you, Dr. Nathan. I really appreciate it. Everyone check out his website. And like I said, you don't have to go to Kentucky. Uh, to get your questions answered. So yeah, awesome. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Dr. Pompa. It's my yeah. pleasure. Truly an honor. Yep. Hey, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Cyto Detox. Look, podcasts cost money. There's a lot of production uh, going around this, but uh, we are grateful to have Cyto Detox as one of the sponsors. It's so easy for me to talk about the product because myself and my family use it constantly as we practice what I preach for over 15 years. I've talked about and taught doctors and the public about cellular detox. And I'll tell you, Cyto was a breakthrough. Cyto was a breakthrough for us. Um, and it's changed so many lives. So we're grateful that they sponsor Cellular Healing TV. It makes sense, doesn't it? They should. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cyto Detox product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit detoxoffer.com. Again, that's detoxoffer.com. Well, that's it for this week. The materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you would like to purchase some of the supplements mentioned on this show, please visit the site 
as seen on chtv.com and use the code chtv15 for 15% off. Again, that's as seen on chtv.com. Use the code chtv15 for 15% off. And as always, thanks for listening.